Welcome to Emu Air. Please take a moment to review the safety card in your mind as we go over the following procedures. To buckle your seatbelt, spend any of your lifetime not living under a rock. In the event of hard times, the map report may be used as a flotation device. It will keep you happy when skies are gray. Should you experience a lack of oxygen from too much laughter, simply press the pause button and complete your laughter. Resume breathing normally and press play. Please take a moment to find your nearest outlet for humor. Keep in mind that the nearest jokes may be behind you. We know you have a choice in podcasts, and we thank you for flying the map report. Our expected cruising altitude today is zero feet, because emus don't fly. Left my home back in Omaha See if I can make it out in the world Got as far as Wichita but Suddenly I wasn't sure anymore Lost all my friends in Los Angeles And I'm not welcome in New York But I must stop back in Omaha where the fans, they always crying out for Alright, in that case, welcome to Mep Report number 69, February 16, 2007. Welcome back. What's going up out there? Everyone's like, yeah, innuendo. There was like a five-year period in my life when I knew that you're supposed to make a reaction to the number 69, but I didn't know why. And so I would just go, woo! I was just going to say that, that he reached the age where it was something to uh, exactly. Yeah. He reached the age where it was still inappropriate, but he had forgotten, you know, about that, and he was still having the reaction. And everyone's oh, just no. like, yeah. you know, There's and they're like, like, and in 1969, woo! Right. Everyone looks at him. I oh. figured. Yeah. <laughs> oh man! So welcome to everybody. How's everyone doing out there? And uh, guys, I, I don't I'm know about sick. you. I, oh, I'm sorry. What are you sick with? That's what I'm doing. He didn't really uh, mean um, it when he was asking how everyone's doing, so you don't have to. No, I know. <laughs> no, no, I, I run kidding. into this all the time I'm in life. Kidding. That's actually like the shortest reaction. I normally t- take five to ten minutes to tell people how I'm doing, and usually they just sort of glare at me and say, I didn't really mean it. I was just saying hello. Well, I was referring to our <laughs> listeners, you know. I, I did hear yeah. that you were not well, doing well. Yeah, I'm sorry we know that. we won't get an answer from them, so that's good. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> I'm bringing them in. That's why I was giving I'm you a response. I was, I was giving you credit for not being rhetorical. You have a cold yeah, story or something like that? I just have, I have the first messages. Dude, that would be so great. That would be so much better on Rab Steps than just cracking up, but actually talking back and being like, no, you idiot. <laughs> wrong about Bush. Bush is great. If you have a ever about what Greg said, done that please on say it now. <laughs> well, he, I can't believe you <laughs> made that Choose joke. your own adventure. Everyone's like, oh, my God. Well, <laughs> we he said totally the email, record. you know. Fast forward to 17 minutes and 30 seconds if yeah. you choose A. <laughs> <laughs> this would be the best idea ever. Audio, choose your own adventure. Except I'm that so yep. just like choose your own adventure. Be way better than having a sore throat. 
Except like yeah. choose your own adventure every so like you every so often if you hit the wrong thing the show would end for absolutely no reason which happened in choose your own adventure oh, too exactly. like you'd like be like, like I'll take that door die. and you find a pit of spikes try again boy this is fun I love right, all the exactly. determinations so many facts I had to operate with with those choices that I was making and every um, show would have at least one option where you have to throw your iPod on the ground and smash it and stomp on it yeah Apple would love us. <laughs> that, that's true <laughs> that was a big part Great. of it exactly and and you always could only choose to do things once because if you ever did something a second time that it worked perfectly well the first time it wasn't going to work that time so it's just sort of like you know no i don't want to hear your silly conversation and the man punches you in the face you lose please turn to the beginning yep it's unpredictability theater it's like talking to zimmy it's great Yeah. Exactly. So speaking of that, you know, we got an email from uh, Chad, uh, from our our friend uh, at Brandeis. Chad Bergeron moment. Yeah, he claims that, first of all, he points out that he can't be that slow as you accused him of being because he was still at Brandeis because he listens to the MEP report, which I think is sort of a... It's, it's an attempt to get it's in to ingratiate up. himself. Yeah, he's ingratiating he's, he's himself to us. He's our rear end. That's right. Yeah. Um, so. Anyway, but he said that he's Thank still you, on Jen. Brandeis because he gets paid to pleasant. be here now. He doesn't say who he gets paid by. Like, as far as I know, he could be dealing drugs on campus and he's getting paid by them. I, I have no idea, you know, who, who he's being paid by. But he says he gets paid to be on campus, so that's, that's cool. And he also agrees that the acapella groups on campus are not good. And there you go. Fair and enough. there you go. So, so thank so, you, Chad. So thank you, what Chad. Else, what else do we got? Well, I wanted I'd to also throw like this out you to there. Know, before oh, we proceed, yes. before you throw anything, that I'm doing this entire podcast blindfolded. This is my wow. And Don't that try this go. at home. The first ever blindfolded podcast in the history so zen. of wow. podcasting. It so is. I'm on a sensory deprivation kick. I am listening because the timing would be a little off if I were also wearing earmuffs. But uh, <laughs> but I I have. I, I do have no ability to see for the duration when, of this podcast. When you can make the joke from my hand, Grasshopper, then you can leave the temple That's of the Meverport. Exactly. Yeah. So, no longer uh, am I going to take visual cues from my computer. So if exactly. you guys go to a cool website this episode, I'll have no idea. Okay. <laughs> awesome. So, I wanted to throw yeah. this out there because I just I and I was say, saying to Russ before the show started that he might have the same idea. I don't know if this was on his radar screen or not, but um, story might be on yours as well. So as you guys know, well, I can uh, see it if it is. That's true because you're blindfolded. Well, you know, just sort of in a Jedi sort of way right. as part of the Force. You know, right. your sonar so, screen. Okay, sonar. your sonar. <laughs> okay. That's right. Oh, you're part dolphin. You have a dolphin beep. in your comic strip. Just go with it. So, there it is. Okay, great. Okay. So let me get this straight. A dolphin it, sonar is the equivalent correct. of a treasure finder on a beach. That that's it's a metal can detector. I make, can I make <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty yeah, much. it's his metal detector Rush. slash sonar kit. That's what I was just going to say. calls the shot. <laughs> yeah, oh. I was going to guess if you're going to bring up the uh, the dark side of the Daily Show new show that no. they just created. If that I, was, that was not it. Okay. No, so I guess. That was my guess. Okay, well, that'll be where we'll go next, I guess. No. Was uh, it the negotiations about North Korea? No. That's my second guess. Damn was it. it, Tim Hardaway? Yes, you are correct. Wow, that's pretty good. The blindfolded monk has already gotten us to... So, here's oh, the thing, okay? Yes. Uh, only gets but I can't way. see. How am I supposed to map? How does this work? your feelings. <laughs> <laughs> You've taken your first step you know, into a larger world. I could see his arguments before he made them. Taking yes. your first step into a larger <laughs> world. <laughs> so, John Amici in the NBA uh, was an NBA player who uh, retired about four or five... Wonder? Uh, he was he there sang, a couple uh, years. Roll to me. No, 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 no. Story. Not that guy. He's the actor that was in the movie Cocoon and Trading Places. 
Oh, oh okay. well. Oh, that, all right, that's Don Amici. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, and I was saying Del Amici. <laughs> okay, so John Amici. Who <laughs> was also not in Cannibal Make Run sure because that was Dom DeLuise. Dom. Let's just get any possible connections that are connected oh, at all. Oh, God. So, okay, so John Amici uh, was in the NBA for about five years, and then he retired about four or five wait, years is, ago. Is this the guy who invented helicopters and had that code book written after him? What? No, that's Da Vinci. Okay. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. Wait, wait, what about the guy <laughs> with the reality show who was the, the child star, but then he became a drug addict? Oh, wait, that's Danny Bonaducci. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Your guys are beginning to stretch a little. Just, just, I'm just, you know, a uh, tr- trifle. Danny Bonaducci, um, Donna Not on this show. That's right there, baby. So, yeah, dude. So he's he been out of the NBA for like five years now, and he finally released a book. Uh, he wrote a book where he, part of the book says that he's Finally, gay. Finally, this NBA star, so few NBA stars retire without immediately releasing a book. <laughs> I know, okay, fair Finally, enough. Finally, John and Mitchie released his. Well, the reason I say finally <laughs> is because in the book, um, he comes out of the closet and says that he announces that he's gay. And he said the reason he had to wait it's so like long to do it book. was because he, you know, because the NBA was not very conducive to this and because pro athletes, it's a very homophobic kind of place and everything else. And the reaction was tended to be somewhat muted. You had some people who had these comments like, well, as long as he don't bring my his gayness on me, which is a direct quote from one of the NBA players, which was not yeah, exactly the exactly height of advancement. Right, that, that wasn't exactly uh, advanced thinking, but you know, okay. So now we get to Tim Hardaway. Now, Tim Hardaway was a former player for the Miami Heat, five-time All-Star, who then was a broadcaster. And he, he had he was the broadcasting in Miami. handles of anyone I've ever seen. Yeah, he was, he was something handles. else. So, Tim Hardaway gets asked By which on a radio mean, show. White man speak, he was a good ball handler. Sorry. Oh, that's fine. That's white man speak? White man speak is he's an excellent ball handler. And oh, okay. black man speak is he has great handles. Okay, because I was going to say otherwise. But I speak both. I'm fluent. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> and I speak Jew man speak, which is like, this guy's pretty good. <laughs> good I'm, I think I'm somewhat disturbed by that. So. Uh, yeah, I know. I so, did that just to offend story. That's fine. That's I know, true. right? <laughs> so here's what Tim Hardaway says. He's He was a broadcaster for a while, too, after he got done, and he was being interviewed on a radio interview. So here's what he actually says during the course of the radio interview. He says, first of all, I wouldn't want him on my team, the former Miami Heat star said. Second, he was talking about Don Amici. Second of all, if he was on my team, I would, you know. <laughs> Don Amici. <laughs> right. John, no, I, no he was talking about the movie actor way. there. That time he was walk, talking about the movie yeah. actor. So, yeah. he's second of all. He's like 90. Why would you want him on your team? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Seriously, what a liability. Second of all, if he was on my team, water. I would, you know, really distance myself from him because I don't think that's right. I don't think he should be in the locker room while we're in the locker room. When show host Don, uh, when the show host told Hardaway those comments were flatly homophobic and bigotry, the player continued, "You know, I hate gay people, so I let it be known. I don't like gay people, and I don't like to be around gay people." He said, "I'm homophobic. Just I clarify. don't like it. It shouldn't be in the world or in the United States." <laughs> So he says all this, That's right? Weird. And the immediate reaction At least I had the world is different than the United States. That's I get what I guess. But in addition to the fact like I was just sort of stunned at the ignorance of of it all, I was like, this is gonna be the one time in history that you can't claim it was taken out of context. He's like, Yeah, my words were taken out of context. When I said I'm homophobic and I hate gay people, what I meant was I dislike happy people because they're always smiling. Exactly. I was just and gonna go there. They're happy like, they're jumping up and like down. I'm, I'm pro-depression, man. I'm pro-sadness all the way. I'm in the story Clayton camp. But can yeah, you can believe this? 
He's just like, let me tell I you, mean, in case you need someone to be your backboard for bigotry, I'm the backboard for bigotry. I, I hate them. I just want yeah, okay. Jim Hardaway to have someone send him a fax where they took everything that he said and they replaced the word gay with the word black and see how he feels about that statement. Because there are people who would make that statement not so long ago, and it was unacceptable. And I don't know how he thinks it's okay to say what he said because it's about gays. It's crazy talk. It's the last frontier of uh, bigotry, I guess. But it just amazes me that he was like, That's you know what? New frontier. There are always going to be newer ones. I, I guess so. Greg. People are not giving up on their bigotry just yet. I mean, right now the we the can you be know very creative. The you know right now Glad and other like you know gay and lesbian alliance group advocacy groups across the country have got to be stepping in and giving the guy who said don't put your gayness on me and being like you know this guy's really progressed you know when we look at athletes today they're really gay <laughs> because clearly he didn't say I am homophobic and I hate gay people it's like saying you know so basically you're a neo-Nazi he's like yes well I am a neo-Nazi and um I yeah. I hate I hate he, black he, people you know he did manage to leave out his his active support of hate crime so that was good. Got to give him that. Yeah. It's true. He didn't say, and we should beat them. Yes. And I would, you know, graffiti his locker with slurs to the effect of things I'm saying now. And then I would do that. And then he says, I feel this way. I'm committed to examining my feelings and will recognize, appreciate, and represent, respect the differences among people in our society. Like, you can say that if you have a slip of the tongue. Like, if you're Joe Biden and you slip and you say Barack Obama is clean, and then you spend all this time talking about how you didn't mean clean and all that stuff, you shouldn't have made the slip of the tongue, but you could try to do that. Where are you going to go from, I hate gay people, I've examined my feelings and realized I really meant I despise gay people? Like, where do you go from, I hate gay people? There's not much room, right? Like, you've already Maybe claimed what you need to claim. there's one gay guy that he's always known who's just really evil, and that's what he projected upon all gay people, and he made a mistake. Maybe it's a guy like Gay Talese, the author. He's like, well, gay people, my, my, my friend down the street, there's this guy that I knew, his name is Gay People. and Yeah, Tim Hardaway sucks. But I mean, and it's and he's in the BH. I, I wanted to put handles in there somewhere to make it like his oh, dribbling okay. skills and his homophobia well, are somehow related. I HH then he handles homophobia. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Tim Hardaway. There you go. Thank you. Handles homophobia. Tim Hardaway H-H. handles Tim Hardaway homophobia. That actually segues into something that I wanted to talk about, which might be a more lengthy, though with very little potential for humor. Right. For comedy, the, please I refer just, to the last 68 map reports. Go on. Right, exactly. When I failed to sleep last night, as I have failed this entire month, um, I woke up around 2 in the morning. I started watching HBO, and there was this fascinating documentary on about abstinence. And it was, I think it was narrated by Michael Palin of Monty Python fame, which made it that much more entertaining for me. But basically it went through the history of forced abstinence, and this was mostly obviously done under religious circumstances where you have the Catholic Church preaching abstinence and to the point where it's not as a choice thing, but, you know, for life. What's the word I'm looking for? It goes beyond abstinence. Uh, 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 Celibacy? A vow celibacy. of celibacy. Thank you. Or celibacy. Yes. Yeah, sure. A vow of celibacy. Basically, the argument that was made by some of the various psychologists on the show were that when you f- control people sexually in this way and you force them into celibacy, um, it creates other more dangerous outlets for their sexual tension, i.e. it makes them more violent. They argue that it probably caused the entire slew of all of the Catholic Church abuse allegations that basically because these priests weren't allowed to know or have sex 
or be mature I, about it. I that swear to God, I thought you were going to say the Crusades. Doing this. Like it created the Crusades. It was like no sex in well, that case, Crusades. <laughs> I swear to also, God, that's what you were going to say. But similarly, like it is also an effective means of making people act more violently because there's a long history in the Catholic and Christian religion of self-flagellation where people would beat themselves and then reach some kind of ecstasy because they believe that beating themselves and torturing themselves would cause them to see God. Um, the physiological explanation for this is basically that they were using the pain to distract their brains from their sexual desires and therefore their sexual outlet became sort of a religious ecstasy when they started beating themselves because their brain would release like uh, that stuff, epinephrine or <laughs> endorphins. Endorphins. The brain would release endorphins when you beat yourself to deal with the pain. Whatever. <laughs> it releases Your brain releases This, like, this, and this vagueness brought to you and by you members of the MEP report. When they had the thing with the stuff that the, I'm sure, the guy... I'm sure endorphins was what I was looking for before we turned well, it into yeah, Don Amici. Especially when they would probably self-flagellate in response to sinful thoughts, which were often, I'm sure, sexual thoughts at the exact right time. So exactly. Better than self-flagellating at the same feeling. That would also so, create problems. Thank you. The whole that thing also, was yeah, relieve that extremely fascinating to me, especially when I saw them interviewing uh, like a very old Canadian nun. And she was explaining her philosophy of life and why she would choose to do this with her life. And as you guys probably know, and this was kind of news to me, but that nuns, they're not just celibate. They actually believe that they're married to Jesus. I didn't know this. I just thought they were celibate because it's good. But they're actually mm -hmm. saving themselves for Jesus, and they plan to marry him in the afterlife. And that's when they'll have, like, their wedding night is when they die, basically. I didn't know this. Huh. So this lady basically was talking about how these biblical passages that she was quoting, and she was quoting them as if they were a romance novel, because they were like, he is the light <laughs> of the way, and he will like, he's the perfect man in all ways, he's perfection, and you can't have a better husband yeah. than Jesus, yeah. and so therefore, it's totally worth it to live your life this way, because that's the end that you're seeking. And it just blew me away, because these are like you know, intelligent people for the most part because they have to be able to guide other people. They're, yeah, but, you know, there to be mentors. But, and, you know, come on, that, the rapture. I mean, they're giving been, up their whole lives. Yeah, of course. For, like, a fairy tale that they're going to marry Jesus in the afterlife. Well, okay. You know what it reminds do, me do of, Do they actually? really think they're going to marry Jesus? Is that really? They really do. They believe, Jesus. well, they, I mean, many Personally nuns, another, like, in, uh, what was the other one? There's some Eastern European Orthodox Church where they're literally, when they become nuns, they literally go through a wedding ceremony as if they're being married to Jesus, and they wear black instead of white because Jesus is dead, and so therefore, <laughs> they're mourning, but all at the same time marrying him. It's very odd. Wow. But they actually believe this. And you know what it reminded me of when I was listening to this old lady talk? And it was just, it scared the crap out of me. It reminded me of someone who plays and loves an RPG. It's just the same oh thing. It's like, did you wear black I deny or white? reality. So here's this really Phenomenal. complex fantasy world that's being brought before me that I'm going to substitute for my reality. And it's really interesting. And I have all this jargon, as in biblical speak or as in RPG speak, where I can use all this jargon to make what I believe in sound more important than actual life. And I'm substituting everything that normal people do for this weird, obsessive, unproductive thing. I see. And That's it just awesome. seemed like it was exactly the same type of person that would become a nun or that would devote their lives to 
fantasy conventions. I, I like that the two paths are either <laughs> devote yourself to marrying Jesus or pick up plus five swords and start, you know, walking around looking for dragons. I like that those are the it's, two life paths it's eerily similar. that these people choose. It's equally right me. Like, the Canadian and nun could have been, like, wearing a leather bustier that was too tight for her and, like, you know, whooping it up at, like, some uh, convention waiting for, you know, Leonard Nimoy to show up. Like, that's basically the equivalent of, of what you're telling me if she hadn't ended up as a nun. Is that basically the idea? I, I think this is going to pose a real threat to especially Catholicism and other um, religions that espouse celibacy, that they're basically going to start losing out to, like, cyberpunk and cybernetic groups that are just more interactive. Like, and all the time, the church thought it was now, opposed you know? to these people. We can have graphics. You know, they should realize the that was their pool. That resemble the fantasy world that you believe in are now in front of you on your computer screen. So but why wait, should you wait. read the book about Jesus when you can have the Jesus video game? I was just going to say, that's genius. The Jesus RPG. It's the massively <laughs> multiplayer online role-playing game called Christianity. That's freaking awesome. You go yeah. out, you know, you level up by defeating small demons. It. it would help. You know, and then you I gradually go up levels. Because it's a good idea for them. But yeah, uh, you know, you go yeah, up levels and, like, you eventually get, like... you olds everywhere. You know, you're, like, you get the gold crucifix and you can actually, uh, you can actually, like, manufacture... What, what would you manufacture? No, like what would you craft? Relics. It's just like the Crusade. Like the Shroud of Turin plus five. Again, that's the <laughs> RPG. It's like... Real piece of actual cross, you know, plus plus two, and you put it in your jewelry slot, <laughs> oh, and then you can, you know, walk on water briefly, and it's great. Yeah. Well, you know, there like was it. a game years ago, I think it's phenomenal, which was a really disgusting game that was called, uh, I think it was actually called Angel, and in the game you're supposed to be this angel whose job was to possess people, and you possessed people that like evil people, and you know, basically made them repent. But the way you did this was by possessing okay. them, and then do awful things to themselves so you'd possess a guy and then you'd be like okay now jump off that building and the guy would do it and you'd be like all right good so i've done god's work and i was like i don't think god would work by sending an angel down possessing him and telling him to leaf off buildings like that seems a little crude for me for what god would actually require and it also seems vaguely like what you would do if you were anybody in including god that sounds like what you would do in grand theft auto but it'll be you know grand heaven salvation or you know whatever the case may be so right yeah i didn't know it was the same pool russ that's that's good and it it seems to be they seem to be drawing from the same group of people like semi intelligent not socially adept at all not really wanting or knowing how to relate to other people and therefore they get channeled into these very secluded very secretive subcultures. Is and this a better time a big for me to mention that I've been oh, no. spending most of the week thinking about signing up for Dark Age of Camelot again? Oh, oh my God. no! God Almighty, you got the email, oh, didn't I you? Really have. You got the email. The come no, back to Camelot email. I didn't. I wish I had. Oh, I did. I'm thinking oh, no. about actually spending money on oh, my it. God. I did, and I deleted it's just, it. It's been a craving. It's like the back of my mind. It's like alcoholism or anything else. You're never completely over it. You're always in recovery. And I've just, you know, I always play video games <laughs> when I come home from work. And the last like three or four days in a row. I've come home and I thought, you know what would be really fun? Dark Age of Camelot. Whatever oh, happened to that game? Oh, that would be fun. And I've oh, been remembering God. all the times and the hours. And I'm like, yeah, that would be fun. I could keep it in control this time. I could do fine. <laughs> sure. <laughs> oh, man. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I think about it. there are a number of priests and, an RPG. priests and nuns and yeah, right, uh, priests and nuns who are, are professors. <laughs> and I mean, they're they're all very normal 
likable people that have no problem and are socially adept and i mean don't fit this description so i'm not entirely sure i mean maybe it's because professors are yet another subset that trump somehow like D D players and so it doesn't well, quite she, fit the same group but. i don't think that those i don't think those are mutually exclusive greg because like i said most of these people are relatively intelligent they're obviously able to give advice and run the affairs of a church or of a but i mean they make monastery but they're, they're up with the like modern culture too like i mean they understand things they're not like what I mean, they're, you know, they're hip to the world. I mean, you know, they're not, not all of them are stuck back in a, in a you know, abbey in, you know, the 15th century. Well, I think, you know, just like for normal people, how most people's sexual lives are not something that they discuss publicly or especially in their workplace. Like, I think people who are celibate because of religion have the same thing, but then they also have this, like, weird, dirty little secret. It seems, it seems very warped and very strange, but there just is an outlet for these people. They need to have an outlet. I wonder, and this is really, I don't know if your program went into this at all, and we are definitely into the there's no humor here territory, but it just occurs to me on the connection. But it's like, do do you think that there's something to the idea of the attraction of of priests to young males, that it's an innocent man, and Jesus is sort of the only innocent man who stayed innocent the whole time. And the idea... Go ahead. I'm just going to sing it back. (laughs) Pretty much. That was really scary until I I recognized the song. (laughs) Dude, you're not even (laughs) blindfolded. That's terrifying to me. I can't even see anything. Some people stay all these horrible stretched out with your feet. I'm taking it quite a bit. So yeah, I think I think that might be I think that might be it. It's like there's something innately attractive about male innocence, and they can only the closest they can get to it in their lives is uh, I think there's all something boys to in front of them. Also, wow. an argument that was made in the documentary. Um, even the the ones who are being very critical of the church said that it's probably about six percent of clergymen who are you know involved in any of these scandals as far as pedophilia scandals sure. go, and the rest found their outlet otherwhere. So it's a minority, but obviously very much highlighted because of how horrible and illegal it is. Right. Um, and I, another argument that was made. Teaching. Right. Yes, that it was rather very likely that rather so people who are homosexual but were, you know, ashamed of what they were, would go to the church believing that they could be converted essentially to celibacy so they wouldn't have to Mm -hmm. deal with it. And so then these urges would come out later on when that obviously that strategy failed. And so that was another possibility of why. We would take your strange sexual urges and replace them with nothing. Just (laughs) deal with it. We will give you no outlet. Wow. See, isn't that better? Why Why isn't it better? So I yeah. think both of those play into it. Here's the other connection that I made when I was watching this that seemed to me obvious, but nobody that I've ever seen has really talked about it before, that it, it seems obvious that military or military units, societies, military groups, armies have used this tactic for millennia. And this is why they oh, keep sure. men barracked by themselves mm-hmm. and don't generally have women... In, among the enlisted men is because part of getting the soldiers to be more violent and getting them to express their violence without reservation is to make them sexually frustrated. Which is why the don't ask don't tell policy that's it. Yep, yep. Of raping and conquering. Yeah. And it's also yep. why there's such a history of because not allowing any kind of, you know, gayness at all within the military because then you'd be removing their whole, you know, 
their whole uh, tension. Yeah, the tension. Yeah, yep. that's right. The sexual tension. I mean, that's been well and, documented that the yeah. military actually acts as a sort of a sexual release in a lot of ways. And there's so many. I mean, there's so, there's so many sort of sexual and phallic things going on with military weaponry and yep. all that stuff. Anyway, so that's sort of. You guys true. seen the movie Jarhead or yeah, no, Full Metal I have Jacket not, or Full Metal Jacket? Certainly, yeah. Yeah. The, you're totally right. The phallic imagery is is rife, especially in the Marines. Um, Chris Connell, I think the name of the actor is, who plays a a colonel in the movie Jarhead. He's trying to rile up the troops in the beginning of the first Gulf War, and he basically says, you know, Marines, are you ready to kick some ass? And they're like, yeah. And then he's like, I just felt my move because they're using it as a replacement for you know actual sexual thoughts. Is they're making right. the violence an outlet for sexuality. And I think that's very much what they do, which is really disturbing, but also apparently very effective and also, uh, brainwashing tool. Further is the point that we've made all along, which is that America is six trillion percent too prudish about sex and way, way not interested enough in worrying about how much violence it throws in its movies. And that needs to be reversed. It's <laughs> sort of directly. Exactly. Violence, fine. Sex, oh my God, is basically the way America looks at things. But I mean, yeah, it's essentially the same thing as you know getting your troops uh, drunk on rum before they go into the battlefield is making them sexually frustrated is a very effective way of making them uh, more willing to brutalize other people because they're uh, you know replacing one urge with another, and so that was like wow. And they I, like their life seems less, obvious. And they care less about yeah preserving it. So exactly. what our job here in the MEP reported to do is to come up with solutions to these problems that we've developed, and so I, I think we need to de- figure out how to fix this problem. Like how do we uh, well, first of all, clearly Tim Hardaway needs to go to the priesthood. That have has that would start things, I think. Else. Yeah, that would go. That would that would be <laughs> so, the beginning, definitely. We need to anoint him, and then you take after those that, I'm out the of ideas. The Jesus RPG game, although you yeah. know the Christian right might use it as a tool, but it would backfire on them because then all of the people who were involved, all of the um, prospective nuns and reverends and ministers and priests would just end up being hooked on the video game. They wouldn't be able to do They'd dangerous things distracted. like yeah. politically protesting or bothering to care about life. And so that would be a good way of taking them out of the picture politically. I think it would work. Okay. How often do you see RPG fans in a big political rally about n- internet neutrality? They don't even do that, and that affects them. Hmm. Well, that's true. That's because they're too they're busy. Too busy leveling up. They're in the tavern talking about their next adventure. You can't, you know, you have to, you have to set priorities. Going to fantasy convention. Absolutely. You have to set priorities. We need exactly. to set that game up for them. I'm trying to meet Sanya Thomas. Anything. You know, actually, <laughs> yeah. that reminds me of something that I've, I've been meaning to talk about for a while, and I was going to throw, you know, I guess this is a good segue into that about the way we label and name people anyway. Like, I had this discussion with someone a few months ago where he was talking about, this is a friend of mine who also likes role-playing games and stuff like that, and he's just like, you know, well, us as nerds, and da-da-da, and I'm like, well, why why are we nerds because we like games? I don't understand. And it, I was like, because I also like football, right? And I like football and basketball. Great. I occasionally You're watch a, a boxing match. Okay. Well, see, that's what... I'm going to objectively declare this. Now, why is There's that? There's no argument. Can I ask that. why? Okay. There may be some people that you can say are on the fringe, but Greg, you're a nerd. Come on. Can I ask why? I mean, I'm not saying I'm not. But can I ask I mean, why, I'm, though? I embrace that. Well, why? But. This was, by the way, his reaction. <sighs> it was the definitive, absolutely, without question, there's no doubt. I was like, why? And he was like, uh... <laughs> because, I mean, it's true, Greg. It's just true. That's a great like, argument. I think because anyone it's true. would say that. Great. Which is fine. Right. No, my argument is because, I mean... Because it's for, true. To one extent, like, I see it as a label of something that is 
people who are intellectual and value intellectuality are almost all nerds. That, that doesn't make any sense. That's a nerdy thing. Why? something that we take care, you know, that we believe in. What do you mean, why? I mean, I think your problem is that you're seeing nerd as innately negative or pejorative. Yes, which, I don't know why. You know, I, it's, I can't it, imagine it why I would think reclaimed. of it as innately pejorative. Reclaim nerd. How silly of me. Reclaim I nerd for yourself. I think happening, though. Especially since the internet tech boom, when you have all these new billionaires yeah, who are all declaring I think themselves nerd nerds. Is reclaimed, That's already begun I'm to happen. I'm proud to yeah. consider myself a nerd. I don't even think of it as a. I think of it as neutral at worst. Of like, and I've never recoiled from nerd or dork or any of these things. But I mean, what? dork technically means whale penis, but you know, <laughs> just <counting>. <laughs> <laughs> which is something that I didn't know until speaking. Emily's mother told me. So here's my question. <laughs> I mean, why did we need the label in the yeah. first place? Can I ask that? Why is there any label required? Why do I because have to claim the anything? The function of the human brain is to classify things and cut and them down into smaller pieces and, to understand them. Yeah. But it doesn't fit me anyway, because I love football. So it already doesn't make sense. And boxing. So that already makes no sense. Well, there are subclasses. Okay. I think Anyone in general boxing sense. doesn't make any sense anyway, so... I only like an occasional learn. boxing match, to be fair. I don't really... I'm, I don't watch... I, I actually oh, love okay. boxing. I'll, I'll go ahead and accept that. That's but not I shocking. I would like right. to be a nerd, if that's possible. If that could work yes, out, I would be happy for that. Okay, good. I will. I will give you the nerd crown. Thanks, I appreciate it. Although I stole it back from you last time by one-upping you on Star Wars, but we can share. Oh, <laughs> dear God. <laughs> But I mean, I feel the same way. I love sports. I love to play sports. Uh, I like things that a lot of people who consider themselves not nerds are interested in. I, I have a very wide array of interests. I don't see why I have to not accept all labels. I have more than, you know, give me more labels, not less. More. Here's, here's the point. Can you, be, you can you be a hyphenated label? Can you be a jock nerd? Is that conceivable? Sure. See, I don't, I don't think... They already have a term for that's it. That's not... No, see, nobody calls it that, though. That's the problem. I think most people do not call people jock nerds. They default to jock, if anything. There are very few jock athletes. nerds. These are the guys with the 4.0 grade point averages who are also first-team All-American. And but those people don't get called nerds whatever, ever, even, by, even secondarily. Emeka Okafor was a student athlete. He's not getting called a nerd anywhere, I, can, I promise you. Yeah, well, I do think... I'm going to say... His athleticism overrides his... his uh, is nerdiness? Mine. Yeah. Oh. And I also think yeah. that extreme prowess, not even prowess, but extreme prowess at athletics disqualifies you from being a nerd by part of the definition of nerd. Okay. Because, How about my ability you know, to slam dunk a basketball from 650 and, feet away? And, and, that is some extreme prowess. <laughs> right. And to be fair, I think extreme intelligence disqualifies you from the label of a jock. So there are no jock nerds because... Part of the implication of a jock as a label is that they are a little oofish. Okay. And part of the label of a nerd is that they are hey, wait, a little, have, a little underdeveloped athletically. All right. What is Bill Bradley? Um, Bill Bradley. See, a very good basketball politician. But I can't even label him. He's just a very, he's just Bill Bradley. That's he the thing. He went to Princeton, right? Or Yale or something? Right, though. Princeton. I beg hey, your, uh, he's a, Prince, a Rhodes Scholar? Yeah, he's bright. <laughs> I promise. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, Bill Bradley is extremely bright. I've, and then I've he heard him interviewed. I mean, he was obviously a professional basketball player, but it's not like he was the best player in the league. He was just a very solid rebounder. Right, he wasn't very like... Good mechanics, good shooter. My dad right. saw him play, like, actually, a couple but times. Here's but here's the thing. Yeah. I, don't think you would call, I don't think you would call him necessarily either a jock or a nerd, because he has enough prowess so he's a hyphen? to disqualify him from either label. He's a hyphen. No, he's not. He's right in between. He's something else. That's what else. I mean. He's a hyphen. 
he's you could call he's him a student al- athlete. <laughs> he's a sh- you know, or you could call him someone who's you know he gets by. He's a fribble. He's one of those friendly shakes for no reason. He's a fribble. Well, you said you could call him something he's else. A wata melon. So I've just called him a fribble. I mean, yeah, <laughs> wata melon. Whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. Dude, what a great reference. Friendly's cruise. Oh in. yeah, wata oh, melon. Awesome. I love that. Yeah. He's a sherbet slammer. Um, yeah, <laughs> he's, a, he's a Jim Dandy. Well, I mean, I don't know. I, I see, but that's what I'm saying. Like, if at the point when we're like, see, he's okay. He so can't. He's too intelligent to be a jock, and he's too, you know, he's too athletic to be a nerd. So he's neither. He's other labels. He's a normal person, or he's a superhero, or super he's normal, just Bill yeah. Bradley. <laughs> yeah, he's super normal. That's what we're gonna call him. He's Bill super Bradley, normal. super normal. Okay. <laughs> Oh my god, that's so funny. That's our non-compulsory, non-pejorative title. Your basic point is... (laughs) Yeah, very non-pejorative. Your basic point is that if someone... So, okay, so I'm going to take me as an example because I was was the one in the middle of the discussion before. So... I play music, I write, I obviously, you know, and you know, do the games, do the show with you guys, uh, but mm-hmm. I also play sports, basketball, tennis, like football, and all that kind of stuff. Sure. You can, and I listen to sports radio. You combine all that kind of stuff together, and I'm not enough of an athlete to counter, and I'm not enough of a musician to counter, because you don't call musicians nerds either. You well, call them like. Well, music is kind of nerdy too. Oh yeah, no! But nobody calls it that. Nobody calls it, it that, though. Sure, they do. No, they yeah. don't. They call it punk, yeah, or they call it something. Else. No, no, no. Especially no, progressive no, no, rock. No, 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 no. Come on, dude. Or you could nobody talk calls those people nerds. Say they're part of the artsy crowd. They call, you could right. say artsy is separate from intellectual. They call them like that. at best. Mm. They call them granola, or they nerd call them is, separate. Nerd is a big tent these days, though. But then it doesn't mean anything. If like nerd means everything, then that doesn't really help. If everyone's a nerd. It doesn't well, mean that's everything, also why but we like, don't think that it's such an offensive word to be called a nerd, because it is a right. very all-encompassing type of thing. I mean, the other like, thing smart. about nerd is I think that, like, caring about your pursuits is sort of a nerdy thing, too. We're, like, putting the kind of energy and time into what you do. Like, apathy <laughs> is sort of the overriding, at least high school feeling. I mean, because all of these labels derive from high school, basically. Yeah. And, you know... I love uh, how stories define everything that we all like to do. Never and he's like, well, and this is a good thing, and that's nerdy, and that's a good thing, and that's nerdy. It's like everything that we would ever but enjoy I, happens I to be nerdy. It's true, which is why Russ and I are proud to wear the label, because, you know, it's like... It is definitely considered nerdy to care about what you do and to care about doing it well, and especially if it's an intellectual or creative pursuit. And that's what most of those things fall into. That's you nerdy. Know? Here's another so, example. Okay. Yeah. Steve Nash also, is the type of you're athlete an English professor. that they call yeah, a renaissance specialist. No, that actually yeah. gives me something anyway, else. That right. makes uh, me eccentric. <laughs> my father got this, too. My father could wear, you know, my father okay. was an eccentric. Yes, He'd wear, no you know, nerds have ever been eccentric. No, because they get a different... Te- it's like they're almost somehow they're given more age. It's true. No, he, did, See, he never had the nerd I was going to make the argument... Okay, yeah. You could even call Steve Nash a nerd because Steve Nash is what they call a gym rat. And gym rats are people who are so unbelievably devoted to what they do that they don't rely on their athleticism and they don't rely on their ability. They right, just they study, study, it. study, study until they become the best at their sport. Plus he's Canadian, people like Tony Gwynn, which gives him a step towards nerd anyway, Steve right? Nash, or even Gilbert Arenas, exactly. who <laughs> has been purportedly like sleeping in the gym at, so that he can be the first guy at practice and like practices more than anyone else, even though he may not be the best athletic player out there. These guys are or basketball nerds, essentially. Yeah, but would but you call I Michael Jordan a nerd? Because Michael Jordan had the greatest work ethic of any basketball player, everybody says. He was always yeah, he there. he was. He was a basketball nerd. Did anyone ever call Michael Jordan a nerd? 
Did that ever cross no, anyone's mind? No, they didn't. But I think that you could. I think you could. Yeah, but this is not meaning anything now. Like, like, this is just lost all of its relevance. <laughs> it's gone. I've gone from being offended to being underwhelmed. I'm like, oh, that's what I am. Okay, well, that's well, that's that's, that's the point. Is that we just? <laughs> but I mean, we don't take yeah. it to mean the same thing that you take it to mean. It's true. I. I guess. I, I just think the generational gap. The whole label, yeah. The generational, the generational gap. gap. Yeah, <laughs> such a, such a gap. The label thing just doesn't make sense to me. I, I, that's the thing. Like, I don't know why you need to have the label term. You know. Well, that's because the label that you desire, as you list all of those things, is Renaissance man. So, as someone who believes that specialization, actually, the label is the I devil, desire is legend. Of course, you don't want label. That's hard. If I ever you, got the, okay. <laughs> but you know what oh. I'm saying? Like your model and your aspiration is Renaissance that's man. True. So, of course, you don't want labels because labels are limits for you. Whereas I Dory. love specialization and want to enhance it, and so oh, I'm okay. all about labels. That makes that's sense, Dory. That's a good way yeah, to describe it. Me all you want. That's a good way to describe I, it. Thinking about this very thing with your thing in yeah. specialization today, and I want to challenge okay. you on something and see what your what your thoughts about this are. Here we go. Okay, Hit for those me. of you who don't remember, Russell, and I don't even know if we've time. ever specifically gone over this on the MEP report, although Maybe chances are we have. Chances are. But are. Story basically hours. believes that, especially in larger societies like ours where there's so many people, your only real chance for success is to be ultra-specialized in one area, so you have a chance to excel. In other words, a nerd. People. And being a renaissance person, <laughs> being more well-rounded only hurts you in your ability to right. become the best at something. Right. So here's my question. You who believe in uber-specialization, yes. but at the same time are not really a fan of societal progress, especially technological progress. So why in God's name would you want people to be specialized if you don't want them to advance technologically at the same time? Well, I mean, I think that I want lots of advancement. I just think that we should throw the brakes on science and let philosophy and, you know, theory and human interaction catch up. So it's not like I don't want any advancement. I just am like, eh, everything's good. Let's just stop. Put on the brakes and, okay. and hold. Next question. You know, so okay. if you want a society that's far more capable of using philosophy and ethics to determine right. what to do as opposed to technology, then why wouldn't yes. you want more people to have a more general good knowledge of philosophy instead of having a small group of uber-specialized philosophers who are going to tell everyone else what to think. I mean, I just think that if you devote your whole life to understanding something, that you become great at it, you know, or do you devote your whole life to anything, but you can't expect you're more likely to, to do that, right? great at it. I mean, I think everyone is capable of doing this, and I think it's the best use for anyone's given life that they have is to be really good at something. And I so, think that, you know, I mean, you know, there are certain people who are pretty limited in their natural abilities and will have a pretty hard time, but I think it's a much more satisfying life. Those who are not nerds part of the argument, too, like George is, Bush, it's a much a more nerd. satisfying life <laughs> to excel at something or to do the best you can at one thing and be really good at that, rather than try to just sort of sample platter and be sort of mediocre at a bunch of different things. Oh, you know? sample platter. And, I mean, yeah, that's, that's what I call so you. So do you think Bradley, sh- like what a little should celery, Bill Bradley have done with his broccoli. life? Should he have <laughs> not gone to Princeton or not gone to the NBA? Well, I mean... Here's the thing. Here's the other thing. Like, I think that a lot of the way that I've couched this also is that it's important to try to excel at one thing in order to, I mean, a, a lot of how I've couched my life and how I think that a lot of people couch their lives now and in this society and when you have 7 billion people on earth and, you know, a reasonable way and probably something I do more than I like to admit is that you sort of have the goal of becoming known, becoming famous, crossing that threshold, whatever that means where you have influence over people. And at the point where you've established 
establish that, then it becomes a lot easier and perhaps more reasonable to vary what you do, which is why you have so much crossover. You have actors becoming involved in politics. You have basketball players becoming involved in politics. I mean, pretty much everyone crosses over into politics. If you really yeah, think politics about. is like the crossroads. Where the most really. name yeah, yeah. is one of the most important right. factors. Yeah, sure. yeah. Right, because, yeah, because it's all money and it's all whatever. So once you've established yourself at that level, then you get involved in that. But you have people being able to be very successful in a variety of different things because the access point of being famous and having achieved that is very good. So I will put that sort of caveat on that I think it's possible to be effective at a variety of things once you've hit that plateau. And that's something that, you know, I think is is a reasonable thing to do because you have that kind of influence. I mean, for example, uh, stuff like Bono's doing, I, of course, applaud Bono's moves of, you know, trying to use his influence and his position in the world to uh, fight poverty and hunger. And I wouldn't ever say, no, you're just singing, which a lot of, you know, people who disagree with him say, no, you're just a singer. Just go back to singing. Like, of course, this is fantastic. And if every famous person used their, you know, fame and ability as a sounding board for things like ending poverty, then we'd have a much better world. So, you know, I would never criticize a move like that. But uh, so a lot of the special Specialization is sort of a, you know, the drones going along like we all are, trying to become famous, trying to get to a certain point, trying to get to that plateau. And then once you I do like that, that idea. sure, you can Celebrity drones. Yeah. That you just have, it's like yeah. you know, lemmings so. are trying to get through a little slit in a wall, and you just have a bunch of them pushing up against each other, and they're celebrity it's drones. like L.A. And one squeezes yeah. through. It is like L.A. Everyone yeah. like Russ like is so funny. Story gives him this very Chickens comprehensive me. thing. He's like, this, this, and this. And Russ is like, I me. like that. Celebrity drones. <laughs> Sorry, like, thank you. Because that is the one that I was juggling higher than the rest. I'm glad that you noticed that color ball. A little bit brighter, a little bit more highlighted. The celebrity drones one. That was that was definitely the real highlight of uh, my message to everybody. No, I mean, what I, I don't want to get into the same argument that we had before about whether specialization or being more well-rounded is better in life. Because we've done this, whether yes, or not right. on the show. Mm-hmm. I don't really care. Um, it's not my concern. So. It was not entertaining in either case. Right. Yes, move on. Exactly. <laughs> so, but I just, I just wanted to get your point on yeah. why you believe specialization was important if you were sort of against the idea of progress in general, it seemed right. to me. Yes. And the answer is I like progress, just not scientific progress. Okay. And, and scientific progress at some point might be fine. We just need to hold. So you think that all physicists should become renaissance button. men? All physicists should take up like backgammon and badminton? And <laughs> I can't even begin <laughs> to explain to you how many violations of everything that is to begin with. Like the uh, fact that we're starting with no scientific progress and following it up with become a renaissance man because apparently that's the way to stop scientific progress. Like all alarm bells I mean, are frankly, ringing in Greg's world. <laughs> like shut the hell you up. You could also like... <laughs> Go ahead with scientific progress and just keep it in a vault, right? Like, as long as they're all under wraps. But this is already your theory, isn't it? Time isn't your theory it that it's all science has already progressed <sighs> and they're just releasing it? No, I'm serious. Aren't, isn't that a partly your argument is that a lot of technology already exists oh, and they're just well, releasing yeah. it in I mean, dribs and drabs? In, in consumer technology. 
Yes, in consumer technology it is. Like things like computers and tape players or whatever the music of the day is, tape, CD. I mean, they have the next nine things lined up. We're converting from, you know, CD to MP3. And, they, you know, there are nine more levels. They've already got something that can beam things to your mind. And, you know, Panasonic and Magnavox are just forcing them to time release it. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm not making any sense. But, you know, I, no, I mean, in a very limited sense, like, I would believe that. But, I mean, I also think... I think there's a certain extent to which these things are completely cyclical. Like, I do believe that generally diseases will evolve to beat the medicines and that we will have about the exact same number of lethal diseases and catch up to beat them in time for the next lethal disease and so on and so forth. So, you know, is any net progress made? Not particularly. You know, if we didn't make progress sometimes, would we all die? I'm willing to stick Maybe. with hepatitis. I don't know. I think that's you know, an okay so. feeling. <laughs> We don't need to move yeah. past this is the next silly. mutated version of... Right. You know, so it's like, yeah, take your lupus chances. Flu. You know? I don't want lupus I, flu. I'll stick with hepatitis. Lupus flu. Right. <laughs> Bird oh, flu. Geez. Who knows what. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy growing spores. Crazy growing spores that, like, spread by, you know, visual contact. Avian, make eye contact avian lymphoma <laughs> leprosy. Avian lymphoma leprosy. Oh, my lymphoma God. Things can get really bad. Lymphoma leprosy sounds horrible. Oh, yeah, that's, okay. that's where your blood cells actually drop off of your body. Like, you just shed blood cells as you walk along. Yeah. They just fall oh away. <laughs> that is not an image Horror. I need while blindfolded. <laughs> and the avian part oh is when you turn into a bird I'm as this is happening. look at something. Yes, exactly. Although we could get that, and then we could really promote the MEP report. We could all walk around as actual emus. It'd be tremendous. It wouldn't be a shame um, anymore. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and the next Why 50 am I the only one to be incoherent squawking? Cricket. Cricket. Like, oh. Cricket. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. That's a good idea. So, so Story, are you yeah. against... Can I ask something yeah. about the technology so, side of things then, just quickly? Not even technology, but space technology. You can ask whatever you want, Greg. I, and I, if you've answered this before, I, I apologize. I will give you the answers. Are you against everything related to the Hit space me. program? And if you've answered this before, then that's fine. I just wondered. Um, I mean, I do think it's kind of a waste at this point. I hope Jake's not listening, my friend who works at JPL. Um, you know, I mean, I, as a big, huge, expensive project that, you know, doesn't have any immediate benefit to 99% of the world, it seems like a bit much. You know, I mean, I, I was a kid who was captivated by space and the space program, and it's it's hard for me because I also can see that there will be an urgent need at some point to vacate the planet or to do our darndest. So maybe it's very important that we work on space technology. I mean, to the point at which survival of the race is important, which is relatively trivial in my opinion. So it's not that important. But people will perceive it to be important at some story point. Story who put survival so, of the race on the low portion of the prairies. Yeah, Remember, right? story, yeah, the, uh, story will always shatter oh, your backboard. The air program. There is no the fallback position with story. Exactly. There is no fallback <laughs> position for story. No no fallback well, position exists. Well, you at least agree that we should be allowed to live, don't you? Well, not, not really. No, I don't think we should have to survive. No, the code of morality and to which survival is really irrelevant because no one's going to do it like it's an unattainable goal so why bother you know so you know yeah i mean there may be some long-term value but for now i would probably put it on hold i would probably say 
It's okay. I mean, the other value of the space program, which could be revolutionary, is if we were actually able to make contact with another uh, life form, another alien race, and that could mean a tremendous amount of progress and humility, which is what humans need more than anything right now, probably. So, collective humility. For a minute, I thought so, you said humidity. You know, I was going to say, I don't think I need more moisture at the moment, <laughs> although it's possible. More but water, please. <laughs> humidity. Um... <laughs> So, uh, you know, so there's some, some like, it's like a lottery ticket, I guess. I think that's what it is. It's like an expensive lottery ticket, the space program. So it costs a lot of money. It's like we're all lottery addicts. It costs a lot of money, but the tickets are shiny. And we could win big. It's really unlikely. But if we did win big, it would be a big deal. It would be like saving us all from an asteroid or like the select five people that we like best from an asteroid. Uh, you know, or making contact with aliens. <laughs> it would be like a really big deal. So it's it's, yeah, it's totally like the lottery. So I'm a little torn. I mean, yeah, mostly, but along you know, the way, we get Velcro. Come on. Along the way, we come up with useful things. <laughs> that is true. There is yeah, Velcro. There you, there you go. Million dollar space pins along the way. Yippee. And Velcro. <laughs> um, right. I did love Velcro as a kid also. Velcro and space. So my childhood would have been darker without the space program. I just had this image uh, otherwise of Story a in a room. <laughs> Once you get past the Challenger disaster. Story feeling bad about things this, and then yeah, looking I, at the TV on one hand with a space program and then a strip of Velcro he keeps peeling and like putting back together in the other hand. Yeah. Oh, I it totally lights did that. My yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I loved my <laughs> Velcro shoes, dude. Yeah. And I, yep. then I convince myself the space program's good. But then I look up in my first grade classroom and see the Challenger disaster happen, and it's all over. Yeah. Which is a but you still story. kept doing uh, the Velcro, right? It was well, all well. over. That's when I no longer wanted to be an astronaut. Right there. Boom. It was you over. Know, that's, that's it was all paleontologists from there. I right literally feel like the day that they open up the uh, the Mars colony to the public, I'm so going. Well, I knew that yeah. Russ was on board I'm with there. the I'm space going. thing. I, I already knew that. So, I want to go as far as possible. I want to go to the least developed frontier that they've got. And uh, that's just because you think it'll be like your RPGs. <laughs> I know. I know. That's exactly that. right. <laughs> it'll be like frontier existence. We've we've now fully colonized. We've full, fully filled up this planet. There are no more frontiers left here. The frontiers are elsewhere, and that's where the exciting stuff is, and that's where the new laws are going to be made. That's where the new societies are going to exist is on the frontier, and the new frontier is in space. Go. It's no longer across the ocean. Would you do a MEP report from Mars? The galaxy. would be like, guys, so if today there was no air again, speak with and there was a desert outside, <laughs> and it was hot. Good Lord. Yeah, there's only there was no a, life uh, again. a 40-day delay between saying things. That's the problem <laughs> via the satellites. I'm going to assume exactly. that by the time you get to Mars, we'll Our have figured out a sequence of better. satellites that would allow us to make it quicker than that. I'm going to assume. Big assumption. <laughs> Russ is like, let me just show you what it would be like. Ready? Silence. Go. Like, two. Yeah, three, exactly. Four. He's waiting. Yeah. That would He's be funny. Huh? He's demonstrating. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But but actually, Russ, is there a particular planet like is Mars? Like I know you say the farthest you could go. Let's say you could go to you know Pluto or I Jupiter. I think would be anymore. fantastic. It's not a planet. I think the moon would be great. <laughs> but short of the moon, you know, it would have to be some other type of inhabitable planet, which would be much much further away. Like so. Saturn. That would be the best. Like, I would actually like to live in an atmosphere. You know, that would be preferable. Not Saturn. The atmosphere, rings. man. 
not a giant gaseous ball. <laughs> it's it's not, got it's an atmosphere. atmosphere. I, I was just going to say. It's so atmospheric. That's all there is. I'm it's sorry. It's like the most expensive restaurant you can imagine. It's patch all of grass. atmosphere. <laughs> no food. No service. I just see atmosphere. mist in my eyes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're not talking about going to some ripped off asteroid. You know, we're, you know, asking with no atmosphere. We're, go ahead and find atmosphere. Speaking of which, I had this great idea. You're going to talk about a ripped off asteroid? That, That'd be great. Uh, when I became. When I, yes, it actually is very related to that. When I became rich enough, I would be an asteroid miner. And essentially what that means is that you go, you take a space team into near space, you find an asteroid, you uh, land on the asteroid, you attach some retro rockets to it, and then you pilot the asteroid to a nearby planet or space base or whatever, and then you harvest it for the valuable metals that asteroids are made from, and you make lots of money. That it was going to be, be Bruce Willis in Armageddon. Except least believable movie ever. I would be, right. and this was before Armageddon, by the way. This is not oh uh, Armageddon. I figured <laughs> not, this out. No, this was yeah, way before that. I figured. When I, was I like, 13, I give you that credit. So. You know why? Thank you. Because you're a nerd. <laughs> oh, right. thank you very much. I see. I see. <laughs> I feel obligated to bring this up while we have more show. Okay. The, the the whole Korea, the North Korea treaty, the perspective treaty yeah. with Korea. I love how nobody knows how to react to it because they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. George Bush's administration did something. It seems like we should like this thing that he did. That can't be right. There's got to be something wrong with this. Something must be up. I something is wrong. And you know, maybe it just happened that he had this guy Christopher Hill who was just really talented negotiator and came up with a way for North Korea to stop test detonating nukes and and close down a reactor or two. I mean, it can't be all bad. Seems good. For accurate coverage know. of the North Korea situation, rewind anyone's coverage of the North Korea situation and play on loop. Oh yeah, I think I think they're really going to follow this treaty. Okay, things are good. North Korea hasn't been in the news for two months. Oh my God, they're testing nukes out of nowhere for no reason. It's a crisis. I think they're going to insane. Story. Somebody send the negotiators. Mean, what do you? Okay. What do you I do then? Gonna sit what down do you do? And they're going to talk. Do we take over the country? Okay. There's no option. It's good. No, there. Of course, <laughs> there's no option. Of course, there's no option, which is why North Korea is winning. I mean, they can do whatever they want. They write their own script. North Korea, I do believe that North Korea is legitimately terrified that we're going to invade at any moment. So their entire strategy is just keep us confused, off balance, and like scared and weirded out enough that we never invade. Because who's going to plan? <laughs> I mean, we're not going to invade right after they, we sign a treaty. North Korea's international strategy right is to, quote, weird the United States out. That they have nukes. Not just act weird. Just just, I think just so. make weird looks at them. Okay, Use finger puppets get, occasionally. Just, just be straight. Yeah. A mental picture of get Kim Jong-il. Also. Do you think I'm wrong about this? Yeah, and then they can finagle the money. But I guarantee you somewhere in an underground bunker under one of those mountains, they're still making nukes. They've still got a stockpile of nukes. They've probably got like 20 nukes at this point. You know, I don't know how effective they are, but they've got 20 warheads and, you know, some decent missiles. And they're going to continue to stockpile and continue to sign treaties and then randomly test and then randomly sign treaties. And, you know, if you can just be off balance and crazy enough and live in a really rough undesirable country with no resources, uh, they can avoid invasion. <laughs> They'll be fine. You know? Right. God forbid. If oil gets discovered uh, in North Korea, though, this all goes out the window. No, seriously. George Bush will totally trade Seattle for, for Pyongyang. That's disturbing. It's not going to be fair, fair enough. 
You would think, though, that at least eliminating the brinksmanship, the part where we're acting so crazy we might accidentally push the button and nuke right. Japan, you know, it was a good thing. I think getting rid of that but brinksmanship is probably seven good. But they've done times! Look at yeah, the you know what? 1980 North Korea hasn't vaporized anybody in the last seven times. Oh, so it's we're true. at least procrastinating the no, vaporization I mean, of some country. Sure, that's good. I'm all for that. Lord knows. But, uh, you know, I mean, it's hard to care, you know? They they just sort of beat you into apathy. It's like, okay, they're unpredictable, but they never really do anything too bad. They don't do anything great. Somehow I have this image that if they were to use the nuclear weapon, it would be sort of like, like, uh, like Master Shake. You know, like they just shoot the nuclear weapon out, it would fall five <laughs> inches from them and blow themselves up. Like, I just yeah. have this image that they're just, it wouldn't. You've always yeah. underestimated them. Well, you know, it's not that I underestimate I them. It's that I, I, I underestimate the effectiveness of a guy who cares more about cognac than, you know, I mean, like, he's, he's, I, I think your term of weirding people out is accurate. Like, I think actually that's the kind of thing, like, yeah. I could see Kim Jong-il being a guy who'd play D&D. That, that would fit. I could see that. Maybe that's when they sign treaties is when he goes into, like, his RPG season and he's distracted and he doesn't care anymore about the real world because the alternate world is more fascinating. <laughs> like, so, Mr. President, like, yeah, we yeah, have a treaty. Yeah, he's like, peace, whatever. Right. He's like, never mind, I've care. almost got this the sword great. of sanity. And then he sort of gets disgusted with himself and is like, God, I have a real country that I could rule instead of going and hunting in the forest with the you know, dragons. It's crazy. Are you comparing yourself to Kim Jong-il? Like, Quick, test a nuke. No. I'm getting close. I'm getting close. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> we Quite. should marry Kim Jong-il to Jesus. That will solve all oh, this problems. Oh, my God. So or Tim send Hardaway. Tim Hardaway as a special no, no, envoy. Tim Hardaway, Tim Hardaway <laughs> would do it. He's like, I, there you I, go. I don't like gay people. And then Tim Hardaway and stop will the go in there and negotiate and be like, I hate you, man. I hate you. You're married to Jesus. That makes you gay. And Kim Jong-il's like, no you're good. weirding me out more than I weird everyone else out. I don't know what to say about you now. Exactly. You're, just, you're just weird. And then he would be intimidated because <laughs> clearly his order is weird. Like, damn it, the Americans so have pronounced like, somebody weirder than us. Oh, no. Exactly. <laughs> oh, here's the argument I forgot to make from like 40 minutes ago. Oh, good. That'll fit. Um, all of your favorite people, the, the altruists, i.e. Jesus, Gandhi, uh, Martin Luther King, they were yeah. all very, very sexually active guys, not at all celibate. So more evidence there. Yes, all there's three of them. distinct proof as to Jesus' sexual status one way or the other, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what they say. He hung out with the That's boys. the word on the street. Yeah, that's what they said. But certainly much <laughs> more evidence to the effect of AD, uh, what, what? Oh, MLK's what? life. <laughs> that, uh, uh, they were altruistic because they really love to love other people love in a physical love way. Me, oh, love to love. Barry White was the next one, but he died. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> well, one of the ways to keep the show from dying is to end it, and so <laughs> we want to thank everyone for listening in and checking us out. What? I don't know. I was bad dismount, but what can I say? I was still thinking of Barry White. Oh, um, want to thank everyone for listening. I'm going to keep you from dying by killing. Want to make sure that uh, everyone checks out uh, iTunes and all those places where you can find out about us. Please vote for us over we at Cast Wars. People to vote for us. We either won. Uh, that's right. Cast Wars. You will have won or not, but, we but we'll let you know um, next show. Thanks for checking us out. Oh, we'll see you guys next week. Say goodbye, everybody. And now I'm back with Tim Hardaway. I'm your Messiah, okay. baby. <laughs> so don't give me no flack. Yeah, baby. I heard that it was a bad.
The proceeding was a presentation of the MEP Report, hosted at www.mepreport.com. All rights reserved. In no way should any part of this show be construed as an invitation to buy, sell, or trade flightless birds, or reassemble Voltron. Or at least not the stupid one the cars. Please support the MEP Report by voting for the show at www.vitalpodcast.com, adding the show to your list of favorites at podcastpickle.com, and clicking on the Vote for MEP link on the MEP Report homepage to vote for us at podcastalley.com. Email us at Greg, Russ, Story, or Andy at mepreport.com, and call us and leave a voicemail or a fax at 206-600-MEP1. That's 206-600-6371. And finally, please join the fight to stop the senseless farming of emu plants. It's immoral, it's unethical, and frankly, it's just a little bit gross. Just another day away